Hey, welcome everybody. This is the State of the CIO, where we talk with America's top IT leaders about the changing role of technology in the C-suite. I'm your host, Dan Kelly. Hey everyone, Dan Kelly here. We've got a great guest with us today. His name is Dr. Ken Russell. Ken has over 25 years of experience developing and implementing comprehensive change and transformational culture programs inside of companies. Hi, Ken. How are you? Hi, Dan. Doing great. Hope you are. I am in light of everything going on. Thank you. Ken, would you mind giving the the audience a quick introduction of yourself? Sure thing. Thank you. I started my career teaching, oddly enough, uh, at uh, UNC Chapel Hill. That's where it all started for me. Had that really kind of that fork in the road moment where I could continue teaching or I could go off and be a consultant. So I made that harsh decision <laughs> to go ahead and become a consultant uh, about 25 years ago. Uh, and, you know, I, I never really looked back, although I think I could have had a nice career in academia. My PhD uh, is in organization change, and what I do is I'm a technologist. So what I've been able to do is blend technology part of who I am with the organizational change part of my training. And that's worked out quite well for me. And it's kind of led to uh, about four times that I've been a CIO in my career. Uh, My first CIO uh, gig, as we call it, uh, was with a staffing company. And we helped build a staffing company from a small $38, $39 million company to what is now probably a $2 billion company. Uh, So it's really amazing to see all that. And, And when you kind of learn by fire like that, it really changes a person, <laughs> but uh, it kind of uh, helped me become who I am and led to other opportunities too. That turned into a chance to build my own uh, business, my own technology company. And I sold that several years ago. And then it kind of changed things, Dan. For the first time in my career, after I sold my company, I was able to say, okay, I don't have to work every day for a, you know, a living. I could actually do some really exciting projects that are kind of fun. And with that, the past 20 years or so have been really exactly like that. So I've had stints where I've done work with um, Duke Energy, uh, stints with Bank of America, Cisco. I spent five years at Cisco and had a wonderful time uh, helping them out. Uh, and I left them as the, uh, the head, of, uh, head of the Intellectual Capital Transformation Group, which is a funny way of saying, you know, how we're going to get the next generation workforce ready for this next generation. So that was really fun to kind of see that new generation of talent, technology talent kind of coming up and wondering how do we actually do it all? And I'll give you one story from that. You know, we worked with, you know, Bank of America again, uh, that kind of came around full circle. So I met some of the same folks I had known, you know, years before at Cisco. And then we kind of combined the question was the two CEOs were talking about, well, how do we get ready for this, you know, millennial generation and how are they different from, everybody else, uh, the baby boomer generation, certainly, but also, uh, you know, Gen X and how we all are different. And what we came up with was a nice discussion about that, you know, we're all trying to for the same end goal, but how we get there is very different. And being a CIO in this last decade has been really interesting, too. So I I had a CIO gig with uh, the North Carolina Research Campus in North Carolina, where we uh, were focused on agriculture, human health, and nutrition. And working with the academics again, kind of brought back, harkened back to my earlier part of my career. And I realized, well, gosh, I've been missing a lot of this. So uh, everything I've been doing for the past five years since uh, leaving Cisco has been working with uh, academia again. So I uh, I helped build an incubator accelerator in Kansas. And I also came back to uh, my uh, undergraduate alma mater to help uh, as their, their first CIO. 
it was at a time when I thought that I was kind of done with the CIO part of my life because I've been consulting and I've been doing a lot of the organizational change things. But I came back in 2016 and helped them with some growth that they were going through. And it worked out quite well because uh, it showed that uh, there was still an opportunity to help organizations uh, discover how technology could uh, impact their organization. So that was kind of nice. So I finished that up and now I'm back to being a consultant. I'm, I guess what you'd call me now, Dan, is I'm a fractional CIO. So I'm working with a company down in Florida, helping them with some CIO work uh, as they're trying to do the same thing. They're trying to grow and try to optimize uh, not just technology, but how technology impacts their organization. So I'm doing that a couple of days a week. And then I'm uh, also helping uh, a school system in, in Georgia uh, with some of the same kind of issues. But the fun part of what I'm doing is that the eye has changed. Uh, so it's no longer information. Now I'm the chief innovation officer for a startup or a spin out, I guess you'd call it, with the University of uh, Houston, a company called Integracote. Uh, I'm now their chief innovation officer. And the question should probably be, well, how is that different than being a chief in a information officer? And I think the, the key reason or the key difference is um, the CIO focuses on the information assets and the technology and those kind of things in organization. It really is a traditional role, although I will say it is changing. But the chief innovation officer has quite a different role. It's more about how do you take all the organizational assets, you know, marketing, legal, HR, every part of an organization, and look for those kernels of innovation and how to grow those things and how to, how to excite those things and, and kind of move them along. So the funny part thing, and I'll, I'll kind of stop here, is that uh, in my University of Houston gig, uh, they've actually given me a, a, an appointment there. So I'm actually a, a, a research professor in physics there at the University of Houston, which is quite nice. Totally unexpected because uh, although I've, I've spent most of my career doing technology and organizational change, the science part of my life, you know, that, that physics part, if you will, the, the, uh, the Isaac Newton part of your life, you know, the, <laughs> was when I was very young very young. So as I'm coming into the latter part of my career, uh, it's nice to be able to pull all those pieces together that made you who you are and use them every day. Uh, I never would have expected that. Your introduction there was wonderful. It, it sparked like two or three different questions that I'm going to hopefully get to in our conversation. The first question I have for you is, on a personal basis, do you like the experiences of being a fractional CIO in your words, which I love that term, right? Essentially split as your profession across three or four different companies or organizations, or do you prefer it providing that service to one single company in a full-time role? And I'd love to hear the, the pros and cons of both options for maybe other people in the audience that are considering this path. Well, particularly because of what we're doing today. I mean, we're all kind of working from home. And it's difficult to be in several places at one time. The biggest complaint, we'll start there, the biggest complaint that I've, I've, I've heard and doesn't really impact me is that how do you go from place to place and kind of be effective? I think that comes with experience, quite honestly, is that, you know, uh, you know some people just like to have one world, one kind of universe, one galaxy, whatever you want to use to think about. Although I feel, and I, and I think this is true for what I call the next generation CIO. Uh, the next generation CIO is always listening and always learning, right? Uh, so for me, I love being a fractional CIO because I can work you know, a couple of days with this type of organization. In this case, it's a financial services organization. And then I can work those two days with the university. And so it's a different part of my brain. So it keeps me very, very excited and very uh, engaged. 
but it also helps me become a better technologist, a better consultant for both. Each one informs the other. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, you know, are there any um, pros to being a full-time CIO that you that you miss perhaps in this new approach? Yeah, you know, w- one of the nice things about being a full-time CIO is that you get to build a team that really is, you know, it's kind of when you're in a, in a build mode or even a sustain mode or that sort of thing, you know, the, it's your team and you get a chance to see the growth of someone over time. As a consultant, it's more transactional, if that makes sense, less transformational. So that's probably the more of a con. I'm, I do miss the ability to be with the entire group over time. But uh, quite honestly, at this stage of my career, that's kind of a becoming less and less of a pro because <laughs> other things are happening in my life too, is that my children are grown and they're out of the house and, and I'm at a point in my career where I, I can I can go out and I can go out and meet new people and, and, and share with them some of the things I've done over the years and gives me a chance to to communicate and, and write and those kind of things and present. Yeah, I think it's great. I, I I think one struggle that all CIOs have when they're in a single role uh, or anyone, it doesn't have to be a CIO, anyone in one organization, right, in one role, or you might even work your way up inside of an organization, but you're still in the same organization, is getting those diverse experiences to bring back into the company, right? And um, I was just wondering if you had any thoughts about maybe different approaches that leaders could take without leaving their full-time role, but perhaps go and explore the marketplace and get some new new experiences versus going to the standard conference and all that jazz, which, quite frankly, we're all bored of. So, <laughs> Yeah. I would encourage my colleagues who are, you know, let's say that there is a 25-year CIO in the same company doing really the same kind of things and just really, you know, not really enjoying it. We'll put it that way. You know, years ago, 25 years ago, let's say when that person was starting, the thing to do back in those days was to stay for 25 years at the same company. Now, you talk to a a young person who's getting out of college, the the idea or even the concept of working the same place for more than three or four years is just nuts. Uh, They would never even think that. Uh, that wasn't the thinking 25, 30 years ago. I mean, it was, you know, like your dad or your grandfather, your grandmother. I mean, they all worked <laughs> and they worked the same job. I mean, if your dad or your mom was this, then that's what they did. That's who, that, how they, what they were identified by. Uh, whereas now, I mean, look at my career. I'm sort of that weird kind of tweener. I mean, I, I mentioned that uh, I worked for several different, you know, large companies. And although the work I did was the same or similar, um, it was for different kinds of industries, different verticals, if you will. Uh, so I w- the advice I would give to someone who's struggling with that is to volunteer. Uh, go to the university, go to the community college, try to stretch your, your, your wings a bit and try to apply what you do in a different vertical. Let's say that if you're in a manufacturing vertical and you've been there for 25 years, go volunteer to teach uh, you know something at the local community college, maybe for finance majors or something like that, because a CIO has these skills. A CIO has more than just uh, the technology stuff. Uh, so go out there and do what's exciting to you and maybe even your uh, your avocation or your hobby. I've got one colleague of mine who's a CIO who is on, on Thursday nights, he goes out and plays in a, a bar band. I mean, this is how he does it. But uh, a lot of folks will do, find ways to kind of get out of that gear and do different things. Uh, I just think that if they just diversify themselves and try different verticals, uh, they'll be surprised at what uh, they'll enjoy. That's really good advice. I 
I want to shift gears slightly, but still holding on to your introduction <laughs> regarding your your title as chief innovation officer, right, versus the typical chief information officer. I have a couple provocative questions I'm going to ask. There's no right or wrong answers, obviously. I'd love to just get your get your feedback here. Should every company have a chief innovation officer within their ranks? And, or before you answer that, is that person the same as the chief information officer simply with a new focus, maybe a renewed focus? Is it the same person? Is it two different people? And should every company have an innovation officer? Uh, Great question. I don't think every company needs an innovation officer. I think companies of any size would. So let's, let's kind of, for just discussion purposes, let's say it's a, you know, a going concern of 50 people or more. We'll just, we'll call it that. Uh, And the reason I say that is because if you're a small company, it doesn't really help you if you've got you know, one person with three different hats, and then you add another hat on top of that. Because we all, if we're we're in a small entrepreneurial company, you're you're everything anyway. But if you're a going concern, you know, yes, definitely. And it and really to your other question, it is definitely not the same as a CIO. Uh, there is this thing called the next generation CIO. We talked about this idea that you know you're you're kind of blending in the technologies that are emerging with the needs of the organization. But the innovation officer does something even quite more than that. They're informed by the technology, just like they're informed by the legal aspects of their organization, by the HR aspects of the organization. They're more of a strategist that kind of sits at the right hand of the CEO or the president. And if she or he you know, wants to do something, it should be the chief innovation officer's role to help flesh those ideas out, to ideate, if you will, or to brainstorm on some of these ideas and help them get from point A to point B. And sometimes that's not as easy as you think. Sometimes, you know, when you, you're you thinking about, you know, expanding a business or even contracting a business, a strategy is such an important part of that. So uh, having someone who is, you know, understands the impact of all those things together uh, helps puts that innovation in motion. And does that role live at the C-suite, obviously chief C-suite, or does it live working for the CIO or for the CEO? Right. I'm just taking a little tangent because this topic has come up on multiple conversations um, that I have with CIOs. But specifically, is that at the same level as the CIO? Is it minus one? And would you recommend a lot of organizations, you know, have these what they call innovation labs? Right. Without the right support, they're, dare I say, you know, an incubator, but kind of a good PR play. And I rarely ideas come up to fruition up to the top. Right. So I'm, this is kind of some of the context behind my question is, you know, to really gain the support of leveraging different internal teams in an incubator approach, like they call the innovation lab, does it require someone at the same level as a CIO? I definitely think that it has to have C-suite access. Uh, if not, definitely a, a full-time seat at that uh, cabinet table. I will say that uh, the, the title itself, uh, Chief Innovation Officer, is not as important as the actual activity that the person does. At one of the universities I worked with, uh, my title was Executive Director. Okay, that's because that was what that was used at the university, and uh, that was a pretty lofty title there. An Executive Director at uh, one of the large banks in New York, that wouldn't be the same role. So you have to understand what's relevant and what uh, makes sense for that particular vertical industry environment, that sort of thing. Also, things like uh, incubators and accelerators require a different kind of touch, right? So it's the kind of thing where if you have the ability to 
have a conversation with a leader and have those conversations turn into collaborations, right? And I'm going to give you a couple of C words here. You know, conversations turn into collaborations, Dan, and then those collaborations can turn into commitments, okay? And those commitments can turn into um, what we call a community, right? So there's, there's four C words right there. And I think the reason that's important for an innovation officer to do is to make sure that uh, they can kind of juggle all of those things and be able to talk with the C-suite as well as the, the folks that are actually out there, the, the line, as we call it, or uh, innovating in a, in a small room. What was really interesting about the work at the university was um, I didn't have the title chief innovation officer there. I was CIO at the university, and then I had my secondary title, which was VP for digital transformation. So digital transformation just another you know, term for innovator, right? So it depends on the environment you're in. So but either way, I was able to uh, impact programs and development of, in these cases, uh, in students' development. So innovation could occur uh, with a 55-year-old airline mechanic who's you know, inventing something in his back garage in the same way that a you know, 17-year-old you know, high school student is in her room banging out the latest Python code and coming up with a really great algorithm. So innovation can occur anywhere. And I think that's what you really focus on, not so much the title, but no matter where you are, understand that there are limitations of organizational structures that you have to work within. And I think a, a chief innovation officer by any name is the kind of person that would want to and would need to be able to navigate those organizational structures. Yeah, I appreciate that. And and um, I just have seen so many organizations have this concept of innovation lab. They may call it innovation lab. They might call it something different, right? You know what I'm talking about. Tailored towards, you know, people that are right out of college too, for good reason, right? People that just want to go out and play, create new trinkets, toys, et cetera, right? Um, challenge the status quo. But what I see time and time again, and we work with really large companies, right? So this isn't going to be the case if you're an IT startup firm, right? So those those are all different because there's a different culture. But I'm talking about a little bit more of your traditional company. What I see time and time again is they have these labs, but the ideas are too radical and they um, they don't make their way up to the top of the organization to really gain that corporate support, which at the end of the day, I'm sorry to say, all has to do with PL, right? So either you have a budget and you got a timeline of figuring out when this is going to create profitability or not. So it's a nice to have versus a need to have. And so that's one of the reasons for my question is, you know, if you have someone really at the top that quite frankly even has their own budget, has their own timeline, has their own KPIs for this, that's really how you enable this type of activity inside of large, maybe traditional organizations. Is that fair? That's very fair. I, I couldn't have done half of what I have done if I wasn't at that cabinet level, even if I was a CIO kind of converting into a C chief innovation officer, having that access and having that uh, gravitas was extremely valuable. Yeah. Now on that same message, I want to talk about digital transformation, which is, <laughs> which is a buzzword that people have been using since the nineties. I quite frankly hate it only because it's, it's this big blanket ocean statement that nobody really knows what the hell you're talking about. Right. <laughs> so, so tell me, tell me what digital transformation means to you specifically. And then, and then I'd also like you to explain, you know, based on your extremely diverse career, right. How that definition has evolved over maybe the last 10 years in your different roles. Yeah, it's really evolved just in the past you know, three or four years. But uh, let's kind of give you the, the quick definition of digital transformation, according to, to Ken Russell. It's about what we 
consume uh, technology-wise. It's not about what we create. It's not about the, the the latest chip or the latest speed of that chip. You know, 20 years ago, we cared about what kind of chip we had on our computer. 10 years ago, we cared about our, our what was you know, in our phone, how fast was this phone? What kind of processor it had? How big our hard drive was? And we would brag to our friends, hey, we, I've got so many racks of servers that has this kind of InfiniBand or whatever else. I mean, it was ridiculous because that doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter what we create. What matters is what we consume and how we consume and what we do. Uh, the second part of digital transformation would be what I call Amplify. It used to be uh, we had roles, and we still do, database administrator, okay? A lot, of, a lot of my professional friends have a, a, a degree called a master's in business administration. That word administration troubles me. But for digital transformation, folks, if you just change that A word to uh, amplify, it changes everything. So suddenly, I'm not a database administrator. I'm a database amplifier. And that tells you all you need to know. Because a database administrator may be doing a couple of select statements and give me some SQL reports, that kind of thing. But a database amplifier, is going to look a little deeper and give me some insight and some forensics. So what are these data saying to me? Before, instead, they would just kind of toss it over and say, here you go, here's your yet another report. But today's DBA is amplifying that value of those data. All right, so the next one, and then I've got two more, and I'll, I'll, I'll leave this definition to the side. But it's this idea of collisions. In, in the academic circles, we would call that propinquity. Uh, I love that word, a propinquitous moment. What it means, really, though, is that nearness, that, you know, have those hallway discussions. Even those hallway discussions are virtual. The ability for us to collide and make, uh, you know, good ideas that maybe you had a good idea and maybe I had a good idea, but together it was, wow, what a great idea. I call that the peanut butter and chocolate moment. Uh, you may be old enough to remember the uh, Reese's peanut butter cup commercial where one guy was running down the hallway with a jar of peanut butter and another person was running down with a bar of chocolate and then bam, they slammed into each other. Oh, I remember, yeah, sure. That, and, it, and it was better. It was better than each one. So it was wonderful. So that propinquitous moment is, is what digital transformation is all about, trying to find that moment where you collide and do some amazing things together. And then finally, none of that makes any difference unless you uh, you share it. The ability to say, Oh, this is out there for you to use. Uh, this is out there for everyone to kind of uh, add to, participate with, that sort of thing. When I was coming up early in my career, we were actually taught the opposite. We were taught that knowledge is power. Think about that. And we still hear that. Knowledge is power. But really, it isn't. Sharing is power. <laughs> Sharing what you know is, is what's, what the value of that. If, if I had all the knowledge, it's like that guy in that movie with the red stapler, right? Uh, you know, you kind of sit there and this is what I do and no one can do it because this is this, this identifies me. And that's where a lot of folks get into trouble, I think, is that they kind of hoard that knowledge. So we shouldn't be knowledge hoarders anymore. We should be knowledge sharers. And that's, that's really your kind of your two-minute definition of uh, digital transformation, according to Ken. Uh, I think it can go a long way. That's great. And I, I think it probably means, I think you would explain it with its own nuances, depending on what industry you're talking about as well, right? I mean, the difference between it. And, I, you know, I'd love, to, um, I'd love to take a slightly different tangent here as well, quickly, because you're in academia, right? Because academia, as we all know, can be just extremely different than the real world. I mean, that's a generic statement, but everybody knows what I'm saying, right? It, especially when you're a student, right, in academia. And there's no, there's no difference across a real world experience drives drives success how do you you know in your world in academia how do you make real world experiences kind of come alive 
for students and the academia world, you know, versus talking about things in theory versus um, versus an operational nature, right? Of of here's here's how you actually produce value inside of an organization versus you know specifically how to code on an application. Kind of getting back to the the concept of you're an expert in a specific stack of technology versus um, now you're more of a business partner, right? Maybe you talk to that a little bit more. Yeah, I think uh, what's important for that is if you try to connect with your younger self, right? Uh, and the ability to say, well, gosh, if, if I was, if I can go back you know, all those years ago and say, you know, what could I tell my younger self? It would be something like, uh, listen, you know, pay attention and uh, observe. What we uh, we tend to do, and again, this goes back to the you know the twenty five year old excuse me the twenty five year veteran of, of an organization. You know how do how do they break that mold? And part of it's just listening and discovering. I'll never forget when I when I first uh, did a a presentation at the University of Houston. You know, much like we're talking about, do we? I was talking about the things that we've done and everything, and I was surprised uh, the young folks there had very almost little or no experience. And this is after having gone through high school and maybe even middle school by this point, uh, doing a lot of what we call STEM programs. And I think I think that's kind of the dirty little secret of, of, of the education system is that we'll spend a lot of time you know, talking about STEM and we'll spend a lot of time talking about uh, projects you can do, but we spend very little time translating that into what does that mean for a career? What's really worked for, for me in those situations is helping students kind of overcome uh, that need for an internship and turn that into an experiential learning opportunity. And the difference is quite, quite stark because, you know, internships, I don't know if you've ever had one of those before, but they, they typically are low level positions and you don't get a chance to really experience the organization uh, very well. Oh, I did plenty of grunt work back in the day as internships. <laughs> oh yeah, I remember like yesterday. Yeah. Uh, absolutely grunt work. And you know what we wanted to do when we built the accelerator a few years ago was that you know, we wanted to make sure students got a chance to be a part of the solution. And one example I'll give you really quickly is that one of the large technology companies that we were working with, and, and you would know them if I could give you the name, but I'm not going to give you the name of this, but um, they were struggling. They were struggling with uh, trying to solve a problem. Now, now, this is how they were trying to solve it, though. They had a room full of 50-some-odd-year-old engineers, and they were doing what they'd been doing for the previous 25 years of their career, sitting around a table trying to solve a problem. But this time was different. This time they were struggling. This time they couldn't quite solve it. So we made an arrangement with this technology company to inject, and I'll use that term, three students, two graduate students and one undergraduate student. And uh, they came in and they didn't know not to ask questions. They didn't know not to, to follow these rigid rules. They just kind of blended in with the organization, the structure that they had there. And would you believe that within about eight weeks, they had solved that problem, actually built it into their suite of software, and were announcing it to, to the world in Germany eight weeks later. <laughs> it was pretty ridiculous, but it was great because it showed how uh, these students can be what they call the youth serum that can change everything. And I think that's probably the key to unlocking this incredible value that these 25-year veterans of, of technology, what regardless of their vertical it can be, is that if they can help you know, that next generation kind of move up and be part of that, that that's a, a very valuable experience. I almost feel like people are shaking their heads right now. The CIOs have said, you know, this is, I need to go back and check inside of my organization to make sure that we're using our co-ops and our interns correctly. All right. And actually making them have some impactful work because they don't bring all the biases. They don't bring all the history and they don't, 
most importantly than anything, hence why I do my own thing now with a team of people that share my culture, what you're saying is really resonating with me because it's almost um, at the top, ensuring that uh, the interns, this co-ops, et cetera, that bring new fresh ideas are truly supported at the top. And if you're going to fail, you fail quickly, but at least you tried something versus saying it's, it's too hard. Is that fair? That's fair. And I think you kind of raise a really good point too, because you, you have to have that uh, upper level you know, buy-in. But historically, it was okay. Historically, it was okay to um, be mediocre because mediocre didn't rock the boat. Mediocre kind of, you know, I got my reports done and I got my budget increased by 2.3% every year, year over year. That doesn't work anymore. That doesn't work anymore. If, if you're going to be an innovative uh, CIO or innovation officer or whatever, if you're going to be that technology leader, uh, you have to understand the impact of technology and you've got to be willing to, to step out and, and jump off that cliff and take that risk. And I think a, a lot more technologists are doing exactly that. I think that the days of kind of sitting back in your desk and kind of signing checks and signing you know, SOWs is kind of over. I'll give you one little trick on that that they can use. There's probably someone in their organization, if they're listening, and there's probably someone who is just dying, erupting to give a new idea. And you're probably saying, well, yeah, 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 that's the kid, right? But you know what? You know, that, that's where your skill comes in, to help guide that person, you know, that guiding experience, to help them you know, take that good idea and make it actually real. I think one of the best CIOs or chief innovation officers today, if he were alive, would be Robert Frost. Think about Robert Frost, the poet. What would he say? What would, in fact, we should do a book about that. What would Robert Frost say about being a chief innovation officer? He's already said it because he said words that become deeds, right? Words that become deeds. And I think that's an incredible thing. So if you could, if you'd be a CIO today and actually help them, help that next generation kind of come up and say, okay, let's talk about this. Let's brainstorm on this. Let's ideate about this thing. And what can we do to make your idea viable and, and, and something special for this organization? Or be very quick and say, no, we're not going to do that. And here's why. <laughs> but again, help them as opposed to just shut them down or ignore them. Right. I think that's really, really impactful. Ken, this has been an absolutely wonderful conversation. I, I know you have a book coming out as well, right? You want to talk a little bit about that perhaps? Yeah. it's In fact, it's called uh, Amplify. And my, my co-author is Becky Scott. And she's worked with me for several years, going back to the Cisco days. And we were sitting around and talking about this one day, and we were talking exactly the kind of things we're talking about. You know, what is it that is valuable for uh, this next generation? And what would make a good book? And we talked about how it's important not only to uh, innovate and accelerate words that we've used already, but the other two words probably are participate. And I think that's where I think a lot of folks kind of go off the rails. They sort of like, they, they buy the business books, they, they buy in, they, they read whatever, they listen to the podcasts, but they don't actually put it in action. <laughs> they don't actually participate. And the final word on that one was this idea of translate. How do, you, how do you translate all that you know and all that you do into the world where you can be innovative and you can accelerate and you can participate? So I think that's what Amplify is all about. Uh, we're excited because I can announce here on your show that the folks at University of Houston are going to publish it. And uh, we're going to publish through that imprint, through the, uh, the, the, the current nanotechnology transformation group, which is where I'm, I'm the chief innovation officer. So uh, we're excited about that. And um, I'm happy to talk about some other things that may be in it, but uh, it's really cool. That's great. Add it to your list of accomplishments. <laughs> yeah, we're excited. That's great. Any final parting thoughts uh, for the audience? Uh, we, we addressed one of my 
famous questions um, in our conversation here of, you know, what would you tell yourself, you know, if you're talking to yourself 10 or 20 years ago? I think we've already addressed that one. But I mean, if, if you have any final thoughts uh, for people before I let you go, feel free to share them. Well, if you wouldn't mind, I'll, I'll go ahead and kind of hark back to when I was starting my career, there was a very popular song on the radio. And as I'm thinking about it, and I'm thinking about Robert Frost and other great poets out there, how can we ignore the great Robert Van Winkle and talk about this? Uh, you may know Rob. Rob was a great poet, a great rap artist. We know him as Vanilla Ice, right? Um, he said we should stop, we should collaborate, and we should listen. How about that? Now, I'm not going to sing it for you, but you could probably put that over the, the, the song. <laughs> on your thing. That could be our exit song for this uh, for this podcast episode. I love it. Absolutely. And I think that'd be the ideal. But those three words are, are, are key to my career. That's for sure, because that's what I do. I, 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 most of what I do, my success comes from listening and paying attention and collaborating with folks. I think that's true for all of us. I mean, that's uh, it's a wonderful reminder. Thank you so much for the time, Ken. I know the audience will get a lot of value out of this. And if you enjoyed uh, today's episode, please be sure to leave a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. And uh, you can also just send me an email personally at dan at thenegotiator.guru. Thanks, Ken. You have a great day. Thanks, Dan. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you got value from today's conversation, please share this podcast with one person you think who would enjoy it. For show notes, episodes, and more, please visit thenegotiator.guru. Look forward to hearing from everyone soon. Thanks, and we'll talk to you soon.